Hello and welcome to episode 157 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. And in Los Angeles, I have Nathan Fox. Nathan? What's up, man? How's it going? It's going well, dude. Um, the weather's super hot here. I don't know why I always talk about that, but it's in the nineties <laughs> and I, I just, it's killing me. So I hate it. <laughs> Brutal. Hey, you know what, before we even get into the teaser about what we're going to talk about this week, can we give sure. a special shout out to Ezra for being such a good sport about us ripping the shit out of his personal statement last time around? No, sorry. <laughs> so today, <laughs> yeah, Ezra was a really good sport. I was impressed with his response, both in email to us and on the Facebook group. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Thanks, thanks again, Ezra, for letting us do that. That was really fun. The audience really loved it, and uh, hopefully, you you learned something from our critique. <laughs> it was meant to help, so uh, thanks again. Yeah. So today on the show, we have an update on the LSAT Demon, which continues to um, be developed. We also have uh, our October 2021st uh, class in Chicago. That's a live class on a weekend. Very excited about that. We apparently have a puff piece slash update. Um, Interested to see what that is. A review of Mango's GPA addendum. Okay, Okay, Mango. We're looking forward to that. Brace yourself, Um, Mango. (laughs) Yeah. I think everybody should know by now. If they send something in, it's going to be potentially torn apart. In any case, um, Kaplan, we have apparently Kaplan turns turds from Katie, as opposed to Pearls of Wisdom. We have an an intense defense of principal questions. Okay. And uh, apparently we've talked an engineer out of law school. Oh, good. Good to hear. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully everyone else as well. Um, yeah. Let's – should we talk about the – yeah, well, I guess let me dive into the stats here really quick. If you guys ever have questions, you can email us at help at thinkinglsat.com. That now goes to Sarah, who does a wonderful job of either putting your email on the agenda or pointing you in the right direction uh, to past episodes in which we've talked about whatever you're asking about. Uh, if you have not joined uh, the Thinking LSAT group on Facebook, I would suggest that you do so. We currently have 834 members, and people talk about the show there all the time and also have other good questions. You can get feedback from other listeners. Now, this week always... they were interacting with Ezra about the, about the personal statement. So it was, was kind of cool to see that happening in you know real time. As soon as the show's out, everybody's like – uh, chiming in and they were, everybody was like patting Ezra on the back and, and giving him some encouragement. So that was cool. Yeah. And in Chinese apparently. Yeah. saw that. <laughs> well, uh, he also got some advice from other people on books that he could read and so forth. So there's a lot of good stuff going on there. You can always tweet us at thinking LSAT. You can tweet Nathan at N Fox and me at Olson Benjamin. Uh, you can also learn more about our services. We both teach live classes. I'm in DC. Nathan is in Los Angeles and San Francisco. We also have online classes and one-on-one options. I'm at strategyprep.com and Nathan is at foxlsat.com. Yep. So um, let's go back to the LSAT demon. We just did uh, more development on that recently, uh, fixing some of the bugs that people had caught and we have some more features that are in the works and we're going to 
work on those pretty soon. Actually, this coming week, as soon as this episode comes out. So if you have not signed up for the LSAT Demon, you can do so at lsatdemon.com. Right now, uh, you have a free trial, and that goes for a week, and then it's $95 a month, but we feel like it's just going to keep getting better and better. Yeah, the feedback that we've gotten from it, for, for people that it works for, it works really, really well. Um, you can do LSAT questions on the go. That's the big selling point for it at this point. Um, you do questions, the system learns from your right answers and your wrong answers and presents you with questions that are at your level. You also get explanations immediately, explanations from me and explanations from Ben. So it's not like a full LSAT class. It's a tool for doing LSAT practice. Is that a fair description of it, Ben? Sure. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, what tests does it does it work with right now? Yeah. So when you go in and start drilling questions, it, you are doing official LSAT questions, and it draws from tests one through sixty one, which is the October uh, two thousand ten LSAT. So it you won't be doing any practice problems from the more recent tests, which allows you to take those as full tests or part of a class. So my class mm-hmm. focuses on my, my live classes and Ben's live classes focus on tests that are more recent than that. So if you do the demon, you're not going to run across stuff that you're going to, you're going to cover in one of our classes. Yeah. And I just actually got an email yesterday from someone who was saying, Hey, here's this thing that needs to be fixed. And we, we ended up fixing it. But he also said, by the way, the demon is addicting. So I mean, that's a good thing to say about an LSAT <laughs> yeah. learning tool. Well, there's worse things you could be addicted to. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Great. Cool. That's a good sales pitch there. All right. Yeah. Okay. So the class that we have coming up is in Chicago. It's on October 20th and 21st. Super excited about that. Uh, that was the one that won the poll in the Facebook group. Uh, I think 45 or some odd people said that they would prefer us to go to Chicago. So we said yes. And yeah, I think this class just keeps getting better and better. Last, we're going to have Anne Levine there, uh, I think on the second day. And she's the law school expert. If you don't know who she is, she will give you advice on law school admissions. Uh, We're going to be going over a very recent test and telling you how to approach it and get the right mindset. You know, what surprised me last time uh, is that there were several students who were scoring in the high 160s, low 170s, and they said that the weekend was extraordinarily helpful for them. I guess it surprises me every time I hear that because I feel like, oh, wow, you're doing so well. What else can we tell you that will help you do better? But they they get things out of it. Yeah, so. well, of course. I mean, if you think about what they get out of private tutoring, if someone is scoring 173 and they say, hey, do you think I could learn from you in private tutoring? I'm like, absolutely. In fact, you can learn more from me than someone who's scoring 153 because yeah. you're sort of primed to get the most out of it. So, I mean, I don't want to make this too much of a sales pitch, but I <laughs> I love working with high-performing students. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, if you're looking to put the finishing touches on a November score and you're already 165 or something, I, I would love to see you in Chicago. I, that would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I think people of all of all levels are going to get something out of it. But um, no, I'm I'm I am my best when I have a lot of high scores in the room. I think. Cool. Well, um, let's jump jump into these emails. Do you want to tackle this first one? Sure. 
<clears throat> it's subject, uh, July LSAT results update. Hey, y'all, I thought you may want to hear how my July LSAT turned out. I am a private tutoring student of Nathan's, and I used Ben's free logical reasoning and reading comprehension explanations to get me over a mid to high 160s slump. Well, I ended up with a 171 and 98th percentile on the July LSAT. I couldn't have done it without y'all. I'm sure you hear that a lot, but really, I absolutely couldn't have done it without you guys. Without the podcast, the tutoring, and the video explanations, I would probably be sitting here with a mid 160s score thinking that's the best I could ever achieve. Thank you again. Best regards, Trevor. That's the puff piece that Sarah was talking about. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> that is a puff piece. Thank you, yeah. Trevor. Yeah, that's nice to hear. Yeah, thanks a lot, Trevor. I mean, that's a story that we hear quite frequently. You know, you just uh, get over the hump with some tutoring and some some professional help. So reach out to us, please. Yeah. Cool. So the next one is from Mango. It says, hi, Ben and Nathan. Call me Mango. I couldn't stop laughing during episode 149 when you two read the, quote, lawyer's right email. Oh, that was the one from uh, GMU, I think, right? That was the terribly written email about how lawyers are supposed to be good writers. Yeah. Yeah. I laughed all the way to USF and into the LSAT testing center. Good. Uh, a guy sitting in front of me had 12 sharpened pencils and a pencil sharpener, you know, just in case, on his desk during the entire test. He kept shuffling them around and dropping them on the floor. Oh, jeez. I guarantee that I destroyed him on the test, all while sc- scoffing at his pathetic attempt to prepare via pencil abundance. All jokes aside, I wrote a GPA addendum below and wondered if you two, sorry y'all, could see if it's worth submitting. Um, Sure. GPA addendum. During my first two years of college, I earned a 3.89 and a 3.84, respectively. Okay, sounds good. I studied in Paris for my junior year. Though my French language skills progressed while living abroad, my lack of fluency hindered my success in advanced college courses taught in French. As a result, I received a 2.74. My senior year, I took 40 semester hours of courses and earned a 3.9. Because of the grade discrepancy between my three successful years of college and my junior year abroad, I believe that my 3.67 cumulative GPA or college GPA is not indicative of my overall academic ability. Uh, I think it's very good that your GPA came up at the end. I was afraid it was just going to end badly. Uh, thoughts on this, Nathan? I think it's almost perfect. I, mm-hmm. I I really like it. There's only one thing I would add, which is I would recalculate the, the cumulative GPA. Excluding the 2.74. Ex- excluding the 2.74 that you earned in French. Yep. Yeah. It gives them one more number to focus on, and it's going to be a high number that, as opposed to your 3.67. It could be the last sentence. It could say, um, yeah, you know, if if we leave this year out, that whatever, you can figure out the exact wording. It's clear that Mango knows how to write, so I'm not worried about that part. Um, but just recalculate that GPA, and it's because it's going to be 3.88 or something like that. Yep. And that's yep. going to give them another number to look at, and that's that's fantastic. Sure. One thing here, I'm wondering if... Mango even needs the last sentence that's on there right now. Because of the grade discrepancy, I believe that my 3.67 is not indicative of my overall academic ability. I think this is 
implied by what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, or, or you could, when you write that that other sentence, right, where you say, um, if we remove this one year of French coursework, my cumulative yep. GPA would be 3.88, comma, which I believe is more indicative of my true academic ability. Something like that. Yep. Okay, and then... Good. And then um, just make sure you have a really strong LSAT score, Mango, <laughs> because they're... If you show them that with a 155, they're going to go, yeah, all right. But if you show them that with a 175, they're going to go, oh, shit. Yeah. This is a star. And, you know, look at this. Like, did an entire year of advanced college courses taught in French yeah. and got a 2.74? I mean, we can go ahead and omit those since 0% of law school is going to be taught in French. And, yeah, this is a, you know, then now they start, again, thinking of you as that diamond in the rough. But it's the LSAT score that's really going to sell it. Yeah. Next one. Yeah. Subject, the humor of a Kaplan course. Oh, boy. Nathan and Ben, I am simply writing in to make fun of myself and allow you guys to do the same. Stupidly, I followed my undergraduate university's advice and paid for a Kaplan prep course before I stumbled upon your podcast. I have learned far more teaching myself and listening to you both every week than I have during the course of this dumb class. Word of advice to anyone listening and contemplating taking a similar course, just do not do it. I thought you would enjoy this bit of bullshit I was told last night during a reading comp session. Quote, Identify the key words used before the details, such as a reference to a sequence of events, e.g. first, then second, or an example that explains the previous sentence, and once found, move on and begin to skim slash quickly read until you hit an important keyword. <laughs> oh my God. It is a waste of time to focus in on such details which are unnecessary and will not be referred to in the questions, end quote. Mm, but the keywords will be, and you'll know what the keywords are because you've been skimming and don't know what the heck is going on. Yeah, you're going to get done with the passage, and it's like, hey, what was that about? And you're going to go, well, it was about first, second, <laughs> since, because, therefore. Fortunately, <laughs> for example. Oh, my God. Um, my, quote, teacher then began to demonstrate how to read fast until she ran into the next so-called important keyword, which was but, where she said we should then begin to play, pay close attention again, which was six sentences later. I wish you could have heard this demonstration because I know you would have enjoyed it as much as I did. I was actually laughing out loud considering the fact that failing to read the details of a passage is contradictory to the meaning of reading comprehension. Thank you for actually giving quality advice and enabling me to enjoy my daily commute on the subway. If only I had found you sooner so that I would be $1,500 richer. Thanks, Katie. Um, man, why, why do they do that, Ben? Why do, they, why do people give such bad, why are there such bad lessons about reading comprehension out there? I think because reading comprehension is... On one level, um, it, it requires actual skill development, right? Like if you want to become a better reader, you have to do it and you have to struggle through it. It's so much easier. Like our advice is constantly read the first sentence, make sure you understand it, 
If you don't understand it, that means you have to read it again. And it's not like we have some easy solution here where someone says to us, oh, I didn't understand that sentence. What can I do? Oh, well, look for the key words or something. Like, we can't say that. We have to say, well, dig in and break it down, deal with one clause and then deal with the other clause until you understand that sentence. And if you can't understand it, then you need to work on your reading by doing more of it. The real path to success on the LSAT and in law school and in your career, by the way, is to get good at reading, which takes dealing with hard sentences until you can conquer them. This kind of advice is a lot easier to give because it gives people the sense that they can kind of scoot around the actual process of learning, right? Oh, I just, I can look for keywords. Oh, wow. I've never done that before. And look, wow, I can spot them. And here I'm spotting them now and I'm making progress. And therefore I must be getting better at reading comp when they're not. Yeah, it's In fact, they're getting worse. Yeah, <clears throat> it's an easy to teach strategy. You can have a stupid lesson, scripted lesson in a book, and you can pay some hourly employee. You know, your poor Kaplan teacher, by the way, don't shit on her too much because she's probably making $25 an hour. Um, you know, she probably scored 164 on the LSAT and is making $25 an hour um, to teach you this stuff. And yeah, um, yeah it's it's it's... I don't know. It's like the easy route, I guess. That's what you're saying, huh, Ben? It's the easy route, and it, unfortunately, it's not any easier. It actually makes things harder. No, it's the easy so route for teaching. It's the it's the easy yeah. route to, to, quote, teach you something. Mm-hmm. It's like read the question stem first. That's also like a easy, gimmicky, bullshit thing where you can just, oh, no, I mean, you do. Oh, <laughs> oh you're not reading the question stem first? Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't believe mm-hmm. you haven't heard that before. You know, like, and then and then you tell somebody that they need to be reading the question stem first, so they think they've learned something. It, unfortunately, it just doesn't actually help you to answer the questions correctly. Yeah, it's the same thing that we talk about after reading a logical reasoning question, right? People read the logical reasoning question, and time and time again, I'm saying, okay, so what do you think about it? And there's this shoulder shrug. I don't know. I mean, it makes sense. And then they start talking. You say, well, just tell me any thoughts you have about it. And they start talking about how the conclusion seems to make sense. And it's like, wait a sec. The conclusion is introducing new ideas. Have you ever thought about that and how that's a problem? Uh, No. That's where the hard work takes place. But it's also where the test gets so much easier once you get good at reading things and being critical and the devil's advocate. You mean to tell me that I have to actually understand it? Mm-hmm. What? That's scary. Yeah. Man. Yeah. That scares me to think that I actually have to read these words and understand what they mean. I just want to be a lawyer. Can I just be just be a lawyer without? <laughs> can I skip that part and just be a lawyer? Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Next one. Yeah. Subject principles really are a thing. Fight me. Exclamation point. Oh, you're going to get fought. You're, you're totally wrong about this. If you're trying to say that there's such thing as a principal question, you are wrong. So I will, let's consider it on. Okay. Dear. Wow. Dear. Old school. <laughs> dear thinking LSAT. Thanks for putting out good content. Oh, they're trying to win us over here. Butter us up. By the way. Yeah. Not only are you allowed to use my name on the podcast, I humbly request that you say my full name, which is at the end of this email on the podcast. Okay. 
Your humble request shall be granted. Sincerely, Donald Trump. Okay, moving on. Um, what? I didn't. I don't get that at all. <sighs> this. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck is going on with this. <laughs> it's not starting out very well. It's, it's a, not like you walked into the to the fighting ring and you're. It's an intense defense of principal questions, according to Sarah. That's what this was teased as. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the subject was principles really are a thing. Fight me. And then this first sentence. I humbly request that you say my full name, which is at the end of this email on the podcast. Well, this is the full name at the end. It says, Donald Trump is a very smart and a great president. And that statement is not just me reading the name of the person who sent this email, but is something I completely agree with. That's a joke, I guess. Yeah. Okay. All right. Back to the fierce defense. Mm. On several recent episodes, you have denounced the practice of making a distinction between strengthening questions and strengthened principle questions and have criticized sources that do so. You said that you don't identify questions as strengthened principle because you don't find the fact that they're, that we're looking for a principle to be helpful for solving the question. All true. In your view, this is overcomplicating things. True. But it isn't but isn't there a meaningful difference in the kind of answer we should predict when we're looking for a principle that strengthens the argument compared to when we are just looking for information that helps strengthen the argument? <laughs> I found this distinction to be helpful. For example, oh, keyword. We should just jump to for example. Yeah, right. Um so far okay. the answer to this is no. Okay. Absolutely not. Example argument number 1. Oh, Okay. Among, is this an argument? Okay. Uh, among the students in Miss Johnson's high school calculus class, there's a strong positive correlation between the amount of time spent studying calculus and grades on quizzes in the class. The students who study more have higher grades than the students who study less. Therefore, studying more causes higher grades on the quizzes. Okay. Correlation, causation, flaw. If this were a strengthened question that did not indicate that we were looking for a principle, I'd be anticipating an answer that eliminates an alternative cause or alternate cause. I'd want to know what this, that the students who study more did not start the class smarter than the students who study less. But if this were a strengthened question that was asking for a principle, then eliminating alternate causes is not my prediction. Instead, I would anticipate something like, if there is a strong correlation between two things, and that means that one thing causes the other. I would be predicting a direct link between the premise and the conclusion rather than eliminating some specific alternate cause. <laughs> uh, okay, this is making me tired. This is making me tired. Part of the problem with this example is that I've never seen a principle like that before either. So it's kind of a weird example. Well, you're making up LSAT questions now, which you can't do. I mean, it's just it's just not really possible to make up LSAT questions. So we're talking about, you know, now we're arguing about an example that was made up by Donald Trump as a great president. Yeah. And... um I don't know. I, 
just what are you talking about? <laughs> you, it's the, you know, the, the other thing is you should be making a prediction before you even read the question stem. I mean, that's maybe the biggest missing piece here overall. Which is what we just did, actually, now that I realize it. You should be we read this. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Anyways, go ahead. You should be attacking the argument. So mm-hmm. if that means if you think of an alternate cause as you're reading, well, put a pin in that. That's, hey, how do you know it's not this? How do you know it's not the other yep. way around? How do you know it's not reversal of cause and effect? Yep. You're, you're like, this is, that sounds like some question stem first bullshit, actually. So I hope that's not what you're doing because you really shouldn't be doing that. You should just be tackling the argument. But I mean, this is, it's also like I would be, if it wasn't asking me for a principle, then I would be looking to eliminate an alternate cause. Well, but what if one of the answers is a sufficient assumption? Mm -hmm. I mean, the best possible answer to a strengthened question, regardless of whether or not it says the word principle in the question stem, Mm -hmm. the best possible answer is a sufficient assumption. If you can find a sufficient assumption, that is the answer. So why wouldn't you just go in predicting the sufficient assumption if there is one? Yeah. I don't, I just, I don't get it. This is, it's complicated. It's overcomplicated. I I don't, I don't, I'm not getting it. Thank you. (laughs) Donald Trump is a very (laughs) smart president. (laughs) I mean, we have this whole other example argument. I just, I don't know that that's really worthwhile. There's no such thing as a principle question. You do not need to. Yeah. What the fuck is. Does the distinction I'm pointing out make sense to you for a strengthened principle? I'm predicting a direct connection between the premise and the conclusion. Whereas on a non-principle strengthened question, I'd be open to a wider range of predictions. No, you're not thinking about it correctly. If you find a direct connection between the premises and the conclusion, that's the fucking answer. And if you don't find that, then you must widen your range of possible answers. Yeah. Because one of the writing, one of the answers is right. Yep. And it's going to hinge on what the problem is with the argument. The problem with this is that it's distracting people away from the most important step, which you mentioned just a second ago, and that is to attack the argument and figure out why you don't like it. And that can often include more than one reason. I think people get hung up because they find one reason and they don't think about others. And these arguments are horrible and a lot of times have two or three reasons. And if you can get good at spotting the things that are bad about an argument, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about a strengthened question, a strengthened principle question, as you put it, or a weakened question or a flaw question or a necessary assumption question or a sufficient assumption question, or even a parallel flaw question. Uh, If you see what's, horrible about the argument you just read and more than one thing. If you see two or three things that are wrong with that argument, you're ready. Awesome. Next one. Yep. Ben, Nathan and VIPs. If this makes it to the podcast, call me Steve because that's my name. Thanks, Steve. Um, You guys have talked me out of going to law school and I could not be more grateful. I listen to the podcast every day at work, and it has brought a new level of enjoyment to my life. I'm a mechanical engineer and love what I do, but I have been trying to get into law school to be a patent lawyer. Absolutely everyone around me has been encouraging me to pursue law school, but after listening to you read emails from other engineers, I have finally taken your advice. 
Every email that starts with, I am an engineer, is usually followed by a sarcastic, well, that's the end of that. Go be an engineer and do good in the world. Engineering is my true passion, and you guys helped me realize that I was only interested in it for the money and prestige, which is far from a guarantee, as many have found. You have changed my life for the better, and I owe you a huge debt of gratitude. I'm going to take the energy I was spending on studying for the LSAT and invest it in spending time with loved ones. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, continue. I will, however, continue listening to the podcast and I'm now a patron on Patreon in the hopes that you will continue to convince others, especially engineers, to give up on the zero-sum game of law and make the world a better place. Thank you for everything, Steve. P.S. I just listened to episode 56 where Nathan gives a recommendation to put butter in black coffee. It's a total game changer. Thanks again. Wow. Awesome. Well, that made me feel good. That's a, that's a little pick-me-up for the day today. Yeah. I was expecting Steve to say that he was going to reinvest his time in some other you know, work-related pursuit. He was going to advance his career in some way. Instead, he's investing that time with loved ones. I don't know how – you can't argue with that. Gosh, life is too short. Yeah. Spend more of your time with the ones you love generally. Now, okay, so that's the new, that's the new presumption, right? The rebuttable presumption. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> can you justify your time on the LSAT? It must be more important than spending well, I mean, time with loved ones. Not the LSAT either, right? Like people, yeah. People have have no idea like what the the time. It's it's not just the LSAT because then it's going to be law school, and it's not just law school because then it's going to be the bar exam, and it's not just the bar exam because then it's going to be a crazy amount of hours in your legal career. Sure. How about it's the life ahead of you? <laughs> how about Ali in New York City? Yeah. You know, how, how about her Saturday? Seriously. I mean, so she was working all day that morning. Yep. Came to talk to the class in New York City. Took the subway from Manhattan. She works, she lives and works in Manhattan. Yep. But she took the subway over to Brooklyn to come and say hi to us and talk to our kids, our, our students, super generously for an hour. <laughs> so that she could then take the subway back to Manhattan to go home? No. To hang out with her wife? Nope. No, to go back to the office so that she could do more lawyering <laughs> on a Saturday, a beautiful Saturday, <laughs> while, while everyone else is going to the, you know, the Afro-Cuban music festival that was right there or, you know, sitting around drinking beers, looking at the water or um, enjoying a, a beautiful, <laughs> really beautiful weather, by the way. It was like perfect Saturday in New York and she was inside lawyering. Yeah. So especially, I mean, in the case where Steve already has a, I'm sure, lucrative enough career as a mm -hmm. mechanical engineer. Yeah. I'm sure he does fine enough to support his family. And he has a family. Mm -hmm. And he could be spending time with them instead of chasing some crazy patent lawyer money, which, you know... <laughs> probably exists but it's uncertain yeah and the time away from your kids and your 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 other loved ones is is certain 
Um, anyway, glad we talked you out of it, Steve. We're not to, we're not trying to talk everybody out of it. No, I some mean, people that's they love that. Yeah, and some people don't have a career at all. But boy, if you're walking away from an already successful career, <laughs> that just makes no sense. So, all right. Anyway, thanks, Steve. You gave me a little pick me up. Cool. Uh, next one. Subject: Accommodations question. Ben and Nathan, I recently received accommodations. My current practice test scores show, on average, a 20-point increase from my recorded score. I heard that schools will sometimes ask for an explanation for increased LSAT scores. Are they allowed to ask if we receive accommodations? They are not allowed to ask that, and I don't think they would. Um, And if they do, you just say... I don't need to, don't answer it. If so, are we obliged to tell them that we received accommodations? I don't think it's going to be an issue. I'm concerned that because of the recent surge of accommodated testers, increased scores will make schools discriminate against accommodated testers. What do you think? Thanks. No, they, they shouldn't be asking you. And if they don't just say, that's not something I need to answer. No, they would be, that's, that's illegal. (laughs) for them to ask yeah. that question. They're not, yep. no, they're not going, that would be discriminating against, against you under the ADA. Like by definition, the second they ask you that they're discriminating. Yeah. So no, they're not going to ask you. It used to be that there would be an asterisk on your score report, but they, they haven't been doing that now. The LSAC has not been doing that for a handful of years. Um, people are getting accommodations. Lots of people are getting accommodations. I'm, We've been talking about it maybe a little bit less on the show, but I'm starting to get even more concerned with it. I yeah. just I just continue to have accommodated students in almost every class who are scoring in the 170s. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not like by definition they have to be cheating because of that. But when you see you know class after class after class and the only person in the room scoring 175 is getting extra time, it's just kind of like, oh, well... <laughs> it could just be a crazy coincidence. No. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 weird. Um yep. That's what we were talking about that I don't know what episode it was, a few episodes ago, right? When you look at the data, the percentage of high scores is higher for accommodated test takers. Yeah. So and I had overcompensating. A, yeah. And I had a student tell me yesterday um say yeah, well, I'm, I, I've been, a, I've never, it's like a student who was scoring 170. Okay. Yeah. Goes, well, I, I've been accommodated for other things in the past, but I haven't yet applied for my LSAC accommodations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, do you, do you think I should do it? I mean, I, I know it would obviously help. Do you think I should do it? And I'm like, well, <laughs> it's up to you whether you, you know, can like, whether you can stomach it because the student then said, Cause you know, if I get 53 minutes, it's basically infinite time Yeah, for me. Now yeah. that's not the case for everybody who's getting accommodated. I mean, I also know students who get 53 minutes and still can't finish the sections mm-hmm. and that's, mm-hmm. that's different. But for, for this student who's already scoring 170 in 35 minutes, if you get 53 minutes, all of a sudden it really is, it's the, there's no substantive difference between 53 minutes and 53,000 minutes. It's the same mm-hmm. thing. Like you have, you just have enough time to get as close as you're going to get to the answers. Yeah. So <clears throat> I, I don't know. Yeah. It's a, it's a broken system. Uh, 
if you have a credible case for accommodations, we definitely advise you to apply for those accommodations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's about that, I guess. Cool. Um, you don't need to explain the 20 per the 20 point increase in your recorded scores, uh, unless they specifically ask you. And if they do, you just say, I thought I could do better. So I took it again. Yep. And we don't need to say why you thought you could do better. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> because I had a ton more time. Yeah. Do not, don't no. You, I mean, you, people sometimes I think shoot themselves in the foot by disclosing that stuff when they don't need yep. to. Yep. That would be really silly to disclose because <laughs> they, they then can, can discriminate against you without getting caught. If you say I was accommodated, then I, you know, it would be reasonable for them to discount your high LSAT score. Although at the end of the day, it would also be stupid for them to do so. Right. Cause they, yeah, that's true for the law school rankings. High, yeah. Right. Yep. High LSAT score. And it's not like, anyway, yeah, but yep. great. Next one. Sure. Hi guys. Love the podcast and other resources that you provide. I'm a behavior analyst who uses the science of applied behavioral analysis to provide behavioral therapy to children with autism and other disabilities. Whoa. <clears throat> the reason I bring this up is there is a term in applied behavior analysis called quote behavioral momentum. This is where we give small requests and deliver immediate reinforcement after each response to build up momentum. For example, clap your hands, stomp your feet, What's four plus four? Oh, I see. So it's a trick. While studying, I noticed that doing an individual question and then receiving immediate feedback via the answer slash explanation created momentum that kept me going forward through more questions. I approached each question with the same aggressiveness each time. When doing 35-minute sections, I noticed it was more difficult to keep focused as time went on, and I would find myself becoming less aggressive or losing the right mindset altogether. I hypothesize <clears throat> this is partially due to the lack of immediate reinforcement after each question, which in turn does not create momentum. I had to create my own momentum. My conclusion is the one you guys have already drawn. Doing time sections are more beneficial in preparing one for the test, test day conditions and are more indicative of the actual progress one has made during studying. Anyway, I thought I would present a different look at why 35-minute sections might be so beneficial. Thanks for everything, AF. Nice. Yeah. I mean, especially you have to do 35-minute sections because that's what you're going to be doing on the day. Mm-hmm. Right. That's just, it's indispensable because if you're not doing 35-minute sections, then you're not, just not really doing the actual test. So you for sure have to do 35-minute sections sometimes. Yeah. I've never thought about the immediate feedback issue. Do you think you can give yourself the immediate feedback? I was actually thinking about that because there's a student that, or a couple of students I've worked with recently who have 70 minutes for each section, which means they have time to play with. And one thing that they struggle with is exhaustion. But it's like, why not do... 20 minutes of work and then take a five minute break. 
LSAT's not LSAC's not going to give you that five minute break, but why don't you give yourself that break and reward yourself for the 20 minutes of work that you've done? Uh, you can create any sort of test environment you want in that situation. Now I realize that's not the case for most people, but even in a 35 minute section, um, I think that by focusing on doing one question at a time, in some ways you're creating this immediate feedback because every time you finish a question, you're saying yourself, saying to yourself, okay, one down um, that I wasn't necessarily planning to do. In other words, if you're planning to finish the section, you're constantly focusing on what you haven't accomplished. But if you don't plan on finishing Every time you finish a question, it's like, wow, that's one more in the bag that I wasn't planning to get, which seems like positive reinforcement to me. Yeah, a slightly different angle on it. If you're doing the test properly, the questions are going to be, they're going to feel easy, mostly. You're, you're going to feel like, by the time you pick the answer, the, it's going to be like, oh, well, obviously the answer is D. Mm-hmm. And if you're not feeling that way, then maybe you need to spend a little more time on that question and actually reach certainty. Mm -hmm. Because then for someone like AF, who's having a problem, you know, staying aggressive or keeping the right focus and mindset, maybe the reason why AF is losing, I mean, it's like one question at a time, um, he or she is losing that momentum by by just sort of allowing yourself to not be certain about your answers. Yeah. Does this make sense? Like, so be sure that you're picking the right answer. Like when you, when you're bubbling, when you're, when you're circling it on the page, you should be like, Oh, well, yeah, I'm circling D right now because D's the answer. Like that's an easy question. Just another easy question. The answer is yeah. D. And if you're not feeling that way about it, well, then maybe you need to spend a little more time there before you move on to the next one. Yeah. Because you could be, if you're not sure about it, well, then you could be just going into this downward spiral where you're not actually really, you know, you're not really figuring them out. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, AF. Whoa. This next email looks long. Let's see here. Hi, Ben and Nate. I will try not to waste time and get right to it. Okay. The short of it, those two sentences could be cut. I attended, <laughs> I attended the Charlotte School of Law, whoa, from 2015 to 2016, and was dismissed the summer before the ABA came out with the news of their non-compliance leading to their closure. Okay, so you were dismissed right before they were dismissed. Interesting. I had a 1L under my belt and was taking summer classes that would lead into 2L for the fall. Quick details. I lost my grandmother and my close uncle in fall in the fall of my 1L year. I was put on academic probation in spring of 1L. Grades in spring were beginning to improve. Given the opportunity to take summer sessions 1 and 2 in order to increase my grades to continue in the program for 2L, I was dismissed three weeks into my first summer session by academic dean. By the way, cutting out the... Um, Articles and stuff doesn't necessarily help. No. <laughs> Academic advisor had my back and helped me get in touch with the dean. I asked if they would let me withdraw instead, and dean said she already submitted the paperwork and that was that. 
Okay, six months after the law school was found non-compliant with the ABA and chaos ensued. My friends who were able to transfer schools during the chaos have told me that their new law programs were are taught with much more support, very thoroughly, and have a massive difference in organization compared to CSL. To add, they all graduated this year and are bar prepping. And to me, this sounds like a little bit of buyer's remorse or regret. Like, oh, I didn't work as hard as I should have, and now my friends are all succeeding and I'm not. Okay, anyways, she continues. I'm in a really fun class action suit right now that I probably won't bear that probably won't bear results for a few years. Sigh. Gosh, I just I can't shake the fact that it feels like you're you're blaming the school for your own failure. I, I don't know that you should have gone to the school in the first place and when you went there you couldn't pull it together for for reasons that are understandable, but um seems like it's mostly your fault, not the school's fault. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know what you're expecting when you, like, you think you're going to get your hand held when you're in law school? Yeah. Uh, that's just, that is not what you should be expecting. You, you shouldn't need it. It's about you and the academic competition between you and the people you're going to school with. And... You got bad grades. That means they kicked your ass in the academic competition, and blaming that on the school, I, I don't, I don't see what that has to do with it. I mean, let me, just this is a very low. I've never heard of Charlotte School of Law. Have you? Nope. Well, I mean, they're they got closed, so that's that's reason why. So this was a very low prestige law school to begin with. This was a struggling barely staying afloat regional law school when you signed up for it, which means that you have poor undergraduate grades and or poor LSAT scores and or only applied to one law school, which just means you're not a very savvy applicant. Does all that sound reasonable so far, Ben? Uh, it is true. Yeah. You know, it's so, a reasonable conclusion. So it just, to me, it's like, I, why were you in law school in the first place? Like, why did you do this to yourself? Why did you put yourself in this situation? And then when I read these quick details and I'm, I'm not, it's like, I, I hope that, uh, whoever this is, L doesn't, doesn't take this the wrong way. But when I hear I lost my grandmother and my close uncle in fall of one L then go into all of this, like, I didn't get the right academic support and I thought they were going to let me take summer classes, but then they kicked me out anyway. It's, this is what that issue of like, how many different excuses are you, are, are, are people going to allow you to make? Like, I want to believe you, L, but your, your reader isn't necessarily like, wait, you, it was your grandmother that, that was it. Oh no, it was your uncle. That was it. Oh no, it was the lack of academic support. It's, it's, yeah. it's the too many excuses problem. And then the last thing that I'll say is getting kicked out of law school is a good thing for you. <laughs> the school you want to get, if you're doing so poorly that they are willing to remove you on academic grounds, that means you were just like not on your way to becoming a successful, not, you were not on your way to becoming an attorney. Yep. And so them removing you from law school benefits you because then you don't continue getting ripped off. So yeah. when you're looking at your friends 
who, you know, they just got so much more support at this other school that they transferred into. And now they're, they graduated and now they're, they're prepping for the bar. And it's like, that seems like a success for them, but now they do have to pass the bar and get a job. And, you know, they, they ended up paying a lot more money for law school than you did. So it's sort of talk to us in a year or two and let us know how you're feeling about what happened to you versus what happened to your friends. Cause right now you're looking at your friends thinking like, Oh man, they won, but it could very well be that your friends are the ones that lost Mm -hmm. anyway. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I I was just going to say that her question is I'm wondering if, and really how you think I should mention this in an addendum on my applications. Right. If you apply to law school and you should only apply if you bring your score up into the one sixties, given your history, if you can do that, then maybe all of this can be forgotten and you really should pursue law as a career. Um, If you can do that and you're applying, you're going to have to address this in an addendum. The fact that you were dismissed from law school would be a huge red flag to any law school that's considering you as an applicant. That's going to be on the application. You're going to have to check a box. Yep. Have you applied to law school? (laughs) Have you been to law school? Yeah. You're going to have to answer yes to all those questions and then you're going to have to explain it all. Yep. So, I mean, I would just own it. Just say you you weren't prepared for law school, but now you are. And here's my LSAT score to show otherwise. Yeah. I don't think bringing up your grandmother and your uncle, I mean, I'm sorry for your loss. Don't get me wrong. I just don't think bringing that up has really any impact on your reader. And trying to blame a law school for your failure is not going to help either, even though they were closed. That's going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. that's going to make you look like, you know, that that's just a red flag where the school is going to be like, Oh boy, here we got somebody who's going to, you know, like they already got kicked out of school once and they're blaming the school for it. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's definitely a no, no. Oh, please come to our school so we can deal with that. So you can be a well. problem at our school too. Yeah. That doesn't sound, that does not sound good. Hmm. Keep, keep going. Yeah. I mean, I would just, I'm just going to, quote a little bit more here. Um, She says, the last thing I want is for my application to look like I take no blame whatsoever. I accept responsibility for my crappy grades in the first semester, but for lack of better terms, I got pretty screwed by... No, see right there. When you say, (laughs) I'm sorry, but you're basically saying, I'm not sorry. Um, I accept responsibility, but I don't. And so you just have to own the whole thing. And take responsibility even for the fact that you went to this law school. That's where that's you said this, Nathan. That's where mistake number one took place. Why did you go to this place? And why did you go into it thinking that somehow, or at least come to the conclusion that somehow law school should be responsible for your success in law school? Uh, that is the the a recipe for disaster. Uh, people who go into law school go into it and take full responsibility for their success. It's nice when law schools can help you, but in most cases, I would not plan on them helping you. They don't give a shit. Law school is fucking miserable. (laughs) They don't care. UC Hastings has 500 people in the 1L class, and they, you know, like, they assign you an academic advisor who you might never, ever meet with unless you go seek them out. Yep. And the academic advisor, by the way, is just a law professor who may or may not give any shit about doing advising. This is, it's, it's your responsibility. By the way, this is a tangent, but related. I, I hear this complaint sometimes with 
with uh, law graduates who complain about their career <laughs> advising office. You know, they say, oh, I went to the career advising office and they didn't help me with my application or they didn't hook me up with interviews. <sighs> yeah, I would just not plan on them helping you. If they give you help, that's a bonus. But your job is to figure out how to get a job and go do it. That's the whole thing. That's just life, kind of. It's 100% on you. You, you, just, you have to take 100% responsibility for all of your own shit. If you're, if you're, I don't care who you're blaming. Yes, you got screwed. Yes, you had bad breaks. Yes, sad things happened. Bad things happened. Yes, 100%. And that also has happened to every single other person on the planet. And you're just looking here like a victim when you're, com when you're complaining about other people and other shit, external factors. I mean, the fact is, you did terribly your first semester. You, you claim that you, you know, really picked up your grades in the, in the 1L spring semester, but I'd, I'd, I'd like to see the transcripts. Because I don't think they, if, I mean, did you get straight A's your 1L spring semester? I don't think so. Did you even get B's? I don't think you did that either. Because, I mean, they want your money. I, are you saying that, like, you were actually being totally successful and then they kicked you out? I don't, I, I don't see how that's even possible. I would just end on this note. Um, and I agree with you completely, Nathan. When you take full responsibility for things, even when other people share some responsibility, and I hope you feel this, it's empowering because then the solution to the problem is entirely in your hands and you are not dependent on others to solve them. For example, you said that you're involved in this class action lawsuit I don't know if you're trying to get money back or what, but I would just let it go. Yeah. I would just move on with your life and start working on a solution and what you're going to do next, whether that is the LSAT and eventually law school or something else entirely, just, you know, wash your hands and start taking full responsibility for every step you take forward. I wonder, you think that's a class action against the school. That's what it sounded like to me. Okay. I thought it was like a suit at work or something, but I, I totally misinterpreted that. So yeah. So now she's actually suing the school. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I mean, boy, I hope you don't have to do anything. I, I hope you're not a named plaintiff. Sure. Yeah. I hope you're not getting deposed because if you are, yeah, get ready for just, months slash years of misery. I apologize to the listeners. There's someone now mowing the lawn outside of my recording area here. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Yeah. You want this next one? Sure. Uh, and thank you, Al, for writing in. I'm sorry for being hard on you. Um, I think Ben... If, if we could take it all over again, I, I think Ben said the one right thing, which was get yourself something in the 160s or don't go back to law school. I think just period. Cool. Hi, Ben and Nathan. Could you talk about some of your favorite personal statements and what made them stick out to you? I am interested in hearing about both the content and writing style. Love the podcast and appreciate all the information and advice you guys have provided. Best McKenna. 
P.S. Please share this quote from David Swenson with anyone who asks you what their LSAT score should be. Quote, trees don't think about how tall they should grow. They just grow as tall as they can. (laughs) (laughs) That's nice. Yeah. There we go. We shared it. Is that is that profound or not? I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I'm going to get high later and think about that. I'm going to smoke a joint and I'm going to think about that one. It's going to be great. You want to talk about your favorite personal statements? I would say that my favorite personal statements tend to be ones that are focused on one story or idea. Maybe, maybe two, but usually just one. The person telling the story keeps it real. They don't try to exaggerate the facts or make them more impressive than they actually are. Credibility is so much more important and impressive than stating things in ways that make them sound cooler than they are because we can all read through that pretty quickly. Uh, And so I like stories that are real, even if they're simple. Um, I like stories that are meaningful to people, meaningful or interesting to the person writing them, even if they're not meaningful or interesting to me. They become that way because the person is interested in them. I'd rather someone write about something that seems less impressive but is interesting or meaningful to them than to write about something that seems cool but they don't actually care about. Um, In terms of the writing style, I like sentences that are short, but also varied. So you can have medium sentences combined with short sentences. I hate it when people use big words, except for the purpose of using big words. I think we've said that on the show a lot, but uh, you wouldn't believe how many times I tell people when reading their personal statements to just stop and read every sentence out loud, because I can't imagine them actually saying that. And if they can read them out loud and it flows then that's going to be good. If it doesn't, then rewrite it. I also tell people to put all their sentences through Grammarly. I don't know why you wouldn't take advantage of a free tool that tells you how to write better and has very good suggestions, uh, even for very, very good writers. So yeah, those are some of the things that stick out to me when I think about the personal statements that I've read and enjoyed. Yep. I like that one story anecdote about you. Tell me what you're into. Tell me, tell me what, what, tell me about a, a moment or a, an achievement or something that was really impactful to you um, so that I can learn about who you are. Yep. And it, I, I like it if it features you. <laughs> I don't want it to feature someone else. I want you to be the star of the show because I'm yeah. trying to learn about you. I got a second draft. Man, one of my former students who I really like this student a lot, and she killed the LSAT, and she's a great candidate for law school. She's going to be awesome. And I helped her with her first personal statement. And she, she sent me an email yesterday saying, Hey, Nathan, I had like a change of heart. And I, you know, I I went in a completely different direction with the personal statement. Would you mind giving it a look? And I'm like, um, yeah, okay. You know, I'll take a look. And I read it and it was like, I I'll paraphrase. It It was like, I grew up being taught that you should never get into a car with strangers, but over the past three years, I've gotten into a car with hundreds of strangers. (laughs) and it goes on and it's about it's about uber oh my gosh and like (laughs) 
it, it was all this like rhapsodizing about changes in technology and how changes in technology are going to impact like how lawyers oh. are going to be so important because of these changes in technology. <laughs> wow. You're now like a, 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 what, what, a thought leader. What, what is it right. called? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. An influencer, a thought leader, yeah. like a, like one, as if you have been to law school and know all about it, which you <laughs> haven't, this is an application for law school. And two, I'm just, I'm learning absolutely nothing about, I mean, oh, I'm learning that you take Uber sometimes. Okay. That's not useful. Yeah. And so, I mean, McKenna wants to know the opposite, wants to know what we like, but sometimes by opposition, you can learn what we like, which that, that is what we don't like. Mm -hmm. We hate that Mm -hmm. because it's not about, it's just, we need, we're, we're trying to learn about you. We're trying to figure out whether, whether you are going to be a good fit for our law school, whether you are going to be a good law student and a good lawyer and a good alumni. Yeah. So I like factual stories about your life without a lot of editorializing. I just, I want to see you in action doing something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And writing style. Sure. Short sentences, short words, go ahead and use first person. I can give one tip that I give all the time, which is to watch out for passive constructions. And I think sometimes people don't understand. There's, there's one particular type of passive construction that you can almost always write your way around, mm. which is if you use too many forms of the verb to be. Yeah. So if you use is, was, were, had been, any conjugation of the verb to be, you could almost always rearrange that and use a more active verb. Cool. Same with uh, ION of. If you're saying destruction of or rejection of, any ION of phrase could probably be rewritten. Destroy could have been the verb or destroyed or rejected. Yep. And then you would have had a subject instead of this vague anonymous, it was destroyed. I think we've mentioned this on the show too, but that's how the LSAT makes some some sentences more abstract is they actually take the verbs and they turn them into ION of of clauses. Oh, okay. I haven't noticed that. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, McKenna. Um, Trees don't think about how tall they should grow. They just (laughs) grow as tall as they can. I don't know why David said that. It doesn't, it just seems sort of silly to me. Who is David Swenson? I don't know. Oh. Probably an author. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now we're Thanks, now we're gonna get emails. I can't believe you don't know who David Swenson is. You guys don't know anything. You, and this is probably you speculate like, about everything. Everybody's favorite, <laughs> legitimately their favorite quote. Like they have a poster <laughs> on the wall with this quote, and now we've made fun of it, and now they have to tear down their poster. They're crying. Ken, I'm glad you like it, but I'm I'm having trouble getting inspired by it. <laughs> Oh boy. Maybe that's, that was her point. She thinks we're going to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I will probably tongue in cheek bust that out at some point when someone says, yeah. what, what else that score do I need? Trees don't think about that, dude. They just grow as tall as they can. Trees don't think about it. I'm going to just turn into like a Zen <laughs> Mr. Miyagi type of a person. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that is a Mr. Miyagi quote right there. All right. One more? Sure. Okay. Dear Nathan and Ben, I started listening to this podcast last month. 
and I've already consumed, consumed, wow, about 50 episodes. Thank you so much for making this valuable content available for free. That's like our souls. Our, <laughs> Crystal has, has, has consumed our souls now. Wow. Yeah. She hasn't just listened. She's consumed it. Yeah. Uh, since discovering your podcast, I've taken to taking. I've taken to taking timed tests. <laughs> taken time to taking sections. time sections. Taking yeah. taken to taking timed sections. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Taken to taking timed sections every day, as well as taking full practice tests on the weekend. Okay. My GPA is a three point nine X, and after a month and a half of studying, I've arranged. Averaged a 175 on the six practice tests I've taken since my initial cold diagnostic of 167 in July. Holy smokes. You started at the top of the pack and you just ran past a bunch of people. If it'd be helpful to know the trend, my scores are 169, 174, 172, 175, 180, 180. I'm currently a junior planning on applying to Harvard's junior junior deferral program and I plan on taking the November LSAT as applications open in March and close in May. Why aren't you taking this test in September? Um, I I don't know when you wrote in, but right now it's September 6th. You have two days (laughs) until the September LSAT, and I hope you wrote in a while ago, or think you did. Maybe not. Maybe this is a very recent person, and she couldn't sign up in time. If you have ever scored 180 on any practice test, you are ready to take the LSAT, and you should take the next one. Yep. Okay. Uh, By the way, same goes for if you've ever scored a 175. Yes. Okay. Anyway, my collegiate debate team pays for me to travel to England every year for a debate tournament at Oxford and is planning on sending me again this year. The tournament takes place on the weekend of November 10th, and I'll most likely get back to America on the Tuesday before the November LSAT and be swamped with coursework that I have to make up. Not taking the November LSAT is not an option, as I want to have the option of retaking in January before Harvard's applications open in March. Oh, I see. For the junior deferral program. Yeah, okay. So anyways, it would have been nice to take it in September to avoid all this, but apparently the admissions process for the program is not rolling. Hmm. But I think that it would be best to get my application in earlier rather than later. Hold up. Why? (laughs) It either is or is not rolling. (laughs) Yeah, either your all applications will sit in a pile and collect dust, at least computer dust, until the application process begins, or it's rolling and you do want to submit it earlier rather than later. So you need to figure that out. I've really enjoyed this trip in the past, but I've been seriously considering not going so I can ensure I'm in the best state prior to, don't ever say prior to, by the way, before taking my first <laughs> test on record. What are your thoughts on traveling so close to the LSAT? I know you guys suggest not over-preparing the week before the LSAT, but do you think the opposite, not spending enough time on the LSAT right before the test, will have a significant impact on my test score? (sighs) Nathan, would you like to? (laughs) (laughs) I just... (laughs) These people... I mean, this is clearly a lawyer. Yep. This is... uh, This is... These these are the I mean I'm sighing because it's like this is a whole different class of issues than the other there's there's like we get people on both sides don't we yeah we get people that are just like why are you doing this please God please don't go to law school 
mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's tiring. Yeah. But we also get this where it's like, yep, you are a lawyer. This is going to work out fine for you. And then we get a whole raft of unnecessarily stressed out questions from people who have nothing but <laughs> every benefit in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, <laughs> go to Oxford, please go on your debate trip. Fucking relax. You've already scored 180 on a couple of practice tests. You are ready to take the test in November. You do not need to study at the last minute before the November LSAT. You could do very, very little prep between now and then. You could do a section here and there. You could, hey, it's a decently long flight to England. You can, you know, you can uh, do a practice test, a practice section on the plane or whatever. Don't time yourself. Just kind of work through some questions or whatever. You're fine. Please don't not go on this trip. (laughs) Please don't not live your life when you've already scored multiple 180s on practice tests. Yeah. You agree? I agree. I don't think there's, I mean, if Crystal did no prepping between now and the November LSAT, she'd probably be fine. Yep. She, so don't you're, you're, and it's very lawyerly of you to do this. This is, this is a hundred percent. Like you are going to be a successful law student and a successful lawyer. Yes. Please go to law school and please become a lawyer. This is the one and only time (laughs) (laughs) we will say this in the next five episodes. Yeah. And to all of the people who we are constantly saying, Hey, you might want to second, you might want to think again about this career path. Just this, this is the type of person that you're going to be, that you're going to be doing battle with. Do you want to do battle with Crystal? Yep. Crystal has a 3.9 from Harvard. She has already scored multiple one eighties on her practice tests. She's, she's seriously contemplating not taking this competitive college debate trip to England (laughs) so that she can stay home so that she can prepare for the November LSAT so that she can apply early to a program that poten- that according to her does not even use rolling admissions. Yeah. That's a lawyer, y'all. And this is a, this is the <laughs> same person, the same attorney you're going to be facing in 6 years who on Christmas morning is going to be going into the office to review the final drafts of their briefs that will be submitted 2 days after Christmas as you, you know, go to some family event and wonder whether or not you're prepared enough for the upcoming case. You know, you're not, you're not, you're not prepared <laughs> enough because, because Crystal is your opponent and you will never be prepared enough to yeah. do battle with someone like Crystal. Yep. So if this doesn't like, if you're reading this and you're like, holy shit, wow, she should chill out. Well, Probably she should, and also probably you do not want any fucking piece of her in a legal battle. Yeah. So seriously think about what you're getting yourself into. Because it's like, wow, why is law school so hard? Why is the bar exam so hard? Why is it so hard for people to stay happily practicing law? And it's like, well, because it's a zero-sum game and because there's going to be Crystal out there who is going to kick the shit out of you. So, I mean, unless you're crystal or crystal esque, in which case, you know, yeah, that's what law school, that's the people that law school is for. That's the people that legal practice is for. Yep. Boy. Um, Crystal. Yeah. Yeah. Continues. 
Thank you again for all of your assistance. I wish I had found your podcast earlier as I feel the Testmaster's online course I took was far too focused on theory and far too exhaustive with ex- with homework assignments. Oh, yeah, we've heard that before. Mm-hmm. You all are solely responsible for the last jump from 175 to 180 in my practice testing as the mindset of trying to completely understand each and every other question totally, totally changed my game. Well, um... <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but we will definitely say thank you for thinking that. Best college debater. Oh, maybe she didn't want us to say Crystal. Well, we already said it a thousand times. Sorry. This is from Crystal. That's interesting. Um, cool. Yeah, good luck. Let us know how it goes on the November LSAT. I mean, you're going to kill it, so it doesn't matter. Go to Oxford, kick ass in your debate thing. Do a little bit of untimed practice test on the plane on the way home. You're going to be totally fine. Yeah. And... As far as the rolling thing, I mean, you need to ask them if it's rolling. It either is or is not. And if it's not, then it's not. But you can ask them. That's a special program for Harvard undergrads. So you can ask them whether it's actually rolling or not. Yep. And if it's not, then you don't even have to worry about it. And you've got a March backup. Or sorry, a January backup. And you probably have a March backup too. So (laughs) (laughs) Crystal actually probably has at least three chances at the (laughs) LSAT. What are the chances of success here? What are the chances of success when she's got (laughs) the last two practice tests she took were both 180s? Hmm. And she has three opportunities to. (laughs) Just three chances. Yeah, that's guaranteed 100. percent Okay. I mean, if if there's not a major disaster or illness or something, she's that's a lock. Crystal, are you looking for a job? (laughs) Yeah, for seriously. Email us. Yep. Yep. All right, you um, got the next one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are we still going? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, we can do one more. One more. Okay. Uh, student employment. Oh, this is just a PSA. Mm-hmm. Standard 304F, which restricted student employment to 20 hours per week, was eliminated in 2014. ABA-approved law schools may continue to retain a student employment rule, even though it is no longer required by the standards. So, okay, so that is no longer, we've said it a few times that we thought it was an ABA, or at least I have said that I thought it was an ABA requirement that you not work um, full-time while you're in full-time school. But apparently that was eliminated in 2014. So your school might still have a rule. And I would bet a lot of them do. Yeah. That's my guess. Yeah, of course they do. I mean, even if it's only like nominal, Mm -hmm. right? Put it in the rules and have a reason to kick you out if they decide they want to. Yep. Um, So you might want to ask them. um, And then again, even if they do have that rule, they're not really going to stop you probably as long as you're doing well in classes. No, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't know. So who cares? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just need to realize what you're taking on. If you think you're going to go to law school full time and like work a significant number of hours. Yeah. But if you are (laughs) a lawyer, if you're crystal esque, it's probably no problem. Yep. Cool. Okay. We'll end on that note. We'll end on a legal regulation. Yeah, perfect. Yep. Uh, That was show 157. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.